Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Father, we just come to you this morning. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Oh, Father, another day in the land of the living is a precious gift, Lord. The freedom to worship seven days of a week is a precious gift, Lord. Most people today neither have the freedom nor the time, nor the inclination to worship you seven days a week. You have blessed us. You have blessed us, Lord. We just want to thank you, Father. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. As we now look into your word, we pray the word will look into us so that we know, Lord, where we fall short of the image of Christ Jesus. The image to which you are conforming us. So that even if the outer man perishes. We are aware the inward man is changing. Help us to be conscious. Of the things that matter in eternity Lord. The kingdom of God. The things that are above. The things that are invisible. Which are eternal. So speak to us, O Lord. Speak to us. Teach us. Teach us continuously, Lord. We commit this time into thy hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We've been looking from First Thessalonians. And uh, it's the third week. It's a continuation. We go to chapter 1 and verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and our Father. And Paul had said, these three things are the greatest, the most important things for a believer in his walk on earth, is faith, hope, and charity, or the God kind of love, these three things. And we had looked at, last week, we've been looking at the work of faith and the labor of love. And we'll continue with that lady we had looked at last week. Remember, we had looked at the Shunammite woman. And uh, But even when we look at all these pictures, I want also to turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32 and uh, 31 and 32. 31 and, oh, you're all in the context. Because... Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 onwards is talking in the context of a home, of a husband, of a wife, of a home. And, uh, but even when we study these things, we need to realize ultimately we are looking at the relationship of Christ and the church. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. If you get that picture in, the rest of the things will start falling into place. Why are we studying? the the picture of the Shunammite woman because she's a picture of the church. Picture of the church. Why did we study about in that same chapter about a prophet's wife, a widow, who was in poverty and the creditors had come because it's also a picture of the church and how Christ deals with a poor church, a widow, who did not know what to do with what God had given her and a, and a married woman was pretty well off and how God deals with all kinds of people. And that's what we are looking at. We are looking at the principles 
which are eternal. The relationship of Christ and the church. What is the kind of church Christ is coming back for? What is the kind of bride he is looking for? That's our our aim. So if you turn to the narrative in Second Kings chapter 4, and it begins from verse 8. <clears throat> we'll go verse by verse. Now it happened one day that... Uh, can I put this off? Because I'm freezing. Yes, I mean, that's how you have to put it, okay? Lest I forget you. Just not now, another day. Just use a cello tape so it only opens this much. That's how I do at home. I don't want it on my face. Okay. We have to have put restrictions on those things also. Okay. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shinem, where there was a notable woman. Okay. That's how it begins. He went to Shunem and she's first introduced to us as she's a Notable. It used another version. Different versions will use respectable. It uses a term great. She was a great woman. And the context where it used great is not talking about just wealth alone. She had a greatness that was spiritual too. Boaz was called a great man. Job was called great. And they were all rich people. But it's not talking of just about their richness. It's about talking about the richness of their spiritual qualities. So when she is introduced to us, remember the previous woman was a poor widow. Okay. Neither her husband nor she knew how to use their resources. And that's how they went into poverty. A church can go poor because they do not know what they have, what God has given or how to use it. Everything she needed was in that woman's house. The only problem, she never heard what to do with it. Remember, the previous, where a widow, uh, in, that's from verses 1 to 7. Here is a woman who's a great woman. She's a respectable woman. She's great both in terms of riches and also in terms of spirituality. So that's how it begins. That Elisha, when did she name, where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. Okay. It's interesting, okay? She's not only great, she's only notable, she's also persuasive, okay? You have to look in the context, okay? If you turn to verse 14, because we are looking at the church, we are looking also at women. So he said, what then is to be done for her? Gahasi said, actually she has no son and her husband is old. Implication, she is not. She's young. Husband is old. This is very common in the old days, even now, especially among Muslims and all, you will see old men marrying. No, it's very common. We believe Joseph was much, much older than Mary. Okay, so here is a, so in, in many ways, her husband is a much older person and in this entire narrative, you hardly see him. The only time you hardly see him, she is the one who is in the picture. Putting in another picture, we are also married to somebody who is an ancient of days. And he's not in the picture right now. He's left the church to do his work. And he expects the church to do his work. Everything of which is his, he's given it to the church. And he says, gives a great commission. Go to the ends of the world. Make use of the resources that I have given you. And make disciples of all nations. Okay, so she's over there. If you look at Proverbs 31, which is the chapter which talks about the woman which is a woman and the church verses 12 to 14 okay 
she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. And she's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. In so many ways, the woman of Shunem fits into this picture than any other woman in the Bible. In so many ways, it looks like she is responsible for her husband's riches. Okay. She is responsible because that's why she is introduced as a great woman there. She seems to be a very good stewardess, very good stewardess of the resources in her home. She's a very industrious woman. Not only that, she is also a spiritual woman. If you look at verse 27 of Proverbs and 31, okay, 27 and 31, she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And 31, yeah. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Her husband is sitting at the gates, but she also will be praised at the gates. By, by the fruit of her hands. He speaks and makes judgments at the gaze, but her work is the result, is, is what brings her greatness. So she is a hard-working woman. Okay, she's a hard-working woman. She's a woman her husband trusts. Husband trusts. Here you have a Shunammite woman, and she's a woman of persuasion too, that we see in verse 8. She persuaded. What does it mean? Are you a person of persuasion when it comes to spiritual things? Meaning in English, we'll say a woman who does not take no for an answer. If you have noticed, sometimes I end up in some homes, though it's a, usually it's a no every time I am called, but sometimes I end up in some homes because some of them are very persuasive. They will not take a no for an answer. They will not take a no for an answer. <laughs> One way or other, they will get me there. <laughs> Whatever excuses you try to make, they will work a way through it. Also, we'll make adjustment for that also. Okay. Now, we are not talking about that. We are talking about, are you very persuasive with God? Or you quit very easily? Remember, Elisha is the voice of God in that land. I mean, she doesn't really know who he is. But the question is, when it comes to God, are we easy, easily we give up? Do we quit easily? Or we are very persistent. Look at this woman. Look at a church. That's the quality of the church of Philadelphia. They are very persistent. You have very little strength. You have not denied my name. But you have kept my word and you have been very persistent. You have persevered. And that's the quality this woman has. This church has. This woman has. She's a very persuasive person. Okay, When it comes to the right things... Things that are right with God. God says, are you persuasive? Or we live. Remember, that is the kind of faith God is looking for. Remember, the widow who goes and troubles the judge and finally gets, he says, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? When he's saying that, he's saying, will I find that kind of faith that never gives up? Will not say no. No, no, no. You know, prophets are very difficult. Very, very difficult. They are not easy to live with. They are not easy to be, to persuade them. Remember Elisha, the, the, to persuade Elisha to come into your house to eat a meal is not an easy thing. It's a man who will not come out of his house to meet the, uh, the general of Syria. Tell them. That's how they are. They don't, they don't give you the time of the day. 
they are in another world altogether food is the last thing on their mind ahab go eat and he goes up to pray two different directions altogether okay and she is able to persuade elisha to come into our house okay and that's what god is talking about when it comes to the things of god are we persuasive when it comes to the things of the world we are very persuasive we don't quit when it comes to those things but god is saying do you have that spiritual quality that you don't give up when you know this thing is right this thing is true and i am going to pursue it until i get it and she is a persuasive woman and then see per, but what did she persuade him for to eat some food so it was as often as he passed by he would turn in there to eat some food so she is not only notable she is not only persuasive she is very hospitable okay hospitality is a big thing in the kingdom of god big thing in the kingdom of god okay that's what god is asking the church is supposed to be hospitable church is supposed to be hospitable and god even gives us this uh, rider people have entertained angels simply by entertaining strangers you don't know who you will who who you will entertain now we are hospitable to people we know she is hospitable to be a person she doesn't know and that's what god is talking about being hospitable to be strangers but these days you have to be careful about strangers but still still the, the, don't forget the principle over there you see a need you see a need god shows you a need if our eyes are open god she shows you a need and you have the capacity to meet that need god says will you take that step and meet that need that's a principle over here if you look around there's always need there's always need and all the needs we cannot meet some of the needs we can meet we can meet and god is asking us a question will we meet that need am i a hospitable person am i a generous person is a question remember when uh, abraham is looking for a bride for isaac that was the first quality that he looked everything else was secondary because god is a giver god is a giver it's a primary nature the whole of creation speaks the fact that god is generous he's a giver god is a giver and here if you look later you will see she's giving expecting nothing expecting nothing she just wants to give and you need to realize in the kingdom of god the principle works this way i give to somebody and you will see oh but that man was blessed it doesn't work that way the giver is the one who is blessed in the kingdom of god the giver is the one who is blessed and not the receiver the receiver is also blessed but if you have to compare blessings the giver is more blessed than that's why it's more blessed to give than to receive because you know what the giver who gives is it maybe may have may be satisfied he's got everything or what he thinks he thinks he has got everything and what he doesn't have he's shut those doors those things are impossible but because he chose to give without expecting nothing god is able to reach out and touch him or her in those areas which are impossible that's what will happen to this woman she is the one who will be more blessed at the end at the end so the giver is the one who is always more blessed than the one who receives and that's what you see about this woman this woman 
is a very hospitable lady, a lady with reputation, a lady who is persuasive. What begins with one meal will end up as a ministry to the prophet. And that is why the Bible says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. What you begin has one little thing. Remember Dorcas, we said, no, we don't know how her ministry started. We don't know, maybe somebody came and stayed in the church that day and his clothes were torn. And then she just casually took her needle and thread and stitched and put it back. And then she realized somebody else is also torn. And from there, it became a ministry. She said, okay, you know what? I got this spare cloth lying around. Let me start making clothes and giving it away. Before you know, it becomes a ministry. And she's known for it. And she dies. And she's brought back because the apostle called and says, look what she did. But everything begins with one stitch. Everything begins with. And the problem is we are waiting for that big thing to happen. Then I will have a ministry. God says, nothing begins like that. Everything begins small. Everything begins small. And most people miss their calling in their life because they don't see it is right before their eyes. You have what it takes and all you have to do is start small. Start small. And that's what she did. She persuaded him for a meal. Whatever it was, it was a good meal. She was a hospitable lady. The ambience was great. It was very homely, everything. So Alicia liked going there. One meal became many meals. So it was. As often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. Okay? It's not a small thing to get Elisha to keep coming. It's not a small thing that Jesus, when he goes to Bethany, is always found in one house. It's not a small thing. The Bible says he loved Mary, he loved Martha, he loved Lazarus. It was the reason why they made him feel welcome. So God, that's what God is talking about. Do we make God welcome in our home, in our life? Does God feel comfortable? No, because like I told, you have to always keep this. God is a family man. He has many identities. One of it is he's a father. He's a family man. Okay? He's an engineer. He's building something. He's a gardener. He's a farmer. He's so many things. But ultimately, what is he? He's a father. He's a father. He's a family man. And the question is that if you see God as a father, would your father be welcome in your house? If you were to come to your house, would he be welcome? Would he be welcome? In this case, Elisha was very, very welcome. Because he turned, whenever he passed that way, he turned into our house. Okay, get these principles because this is how faith works. And this is how love labors. Okay, and why did he keep on passing by? Because every time he came, she made him feel the same way, welcome, expecting nothing. Everybody will welcome a prophet if you need a miracle. She needs no miracle. No miracle. And she doesn't really know him. The fact of the matter is she doesn't even really, really know who this person is. She just saw saw your need and met him. If you turn to Acts chapter 16 and verses 13 to 15. On the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, 
who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to hear the things opened by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and say, So she persuaded us. See, God can only open my heart, but only I can open my home. God can open your heart to receive the word. After you have received your word, God says, will you open my your home for my people? Okay. God opened her heart and she heard the word. And she was touched, saved, got baptized immediately after that. You know what? Will you come and stay in my house? You don't have to pray by the riverside. My home is open. You know why he's praying at the riverside? <laughs> I believe because there's no place to pray. Pray. She said, my house is open. My house is open. And she's also persuasive. You go through the Bible, you will see there are these women all through the pages of Bible who are fundamental to ministry. Even Jesus' own ministry. They were fundamental. They were the wheels on which the wagon moved. We see the wagon. But where will the wagon go without the wheels? Where will the church go without the women? Where will the house go without the mother? It goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. Okay, And that's what you see the picture over here. Here is a lady. She is hospitable. She is persuasive. And then come to verse 9 of Second Kings. Verse 9. She said to her husband, Look, I know. This is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. She is not only persuasive, she has perception too, perceptive too. Okay, she says, you know what? This is no ordinary man. I've seen him. He comes quietly, he eats and goes. But you know what? This man is different from other men. This man is holy. This is a holy man of God. Okay, she has that perception. The church needs that perceptions where they are able to distinguish what is holy and what is not holy. And when you discover what is holy, you want to entertain that in your life, in your home. That perception we need to. We should be able to know between what is clean and unclean, what is holy and unholy. And she has that perception as a person and as a church. We need to have that perception. And mothers need to have that perception. What is holy? Because you see, the man is out most of the time. The custodian of the hearts and the minds of the children is the mother. And the mother should be able to perceive what is holy. One cartoon, one look, you know, this is not holy. And this is kosher. Should be able to. The gates, she becomes the doorway. In Nehemiah, we are talking about the walls are built, but the gates are hung. Walls are good, but walls are of no good if there are no gates. The gates will decide what to keep out and what to let in. And in so many ways, the mother becomes the gateway. She is the one who stands by the gateway and decides, what will my children see? What will my children read? What will my children watch? Which way are they going to? That's why these mothers are very, very important in the Bible. And you will see so many mothers coming to Jesus. And she has that perception. And if you have to be that godly mother, you need to have that perception and say, Lord, give me that perception so that I know, I know, I know, Lord, I know what is right and what is wrong in in your sight. 
she had the perception that this is the holy man of God who is passing us by regularly. The question is that, the second part, as a church, do we have a perception of what God is going doing today? Today. We only see the negative, but do we see the positive? We know it's absolutely true. All you have to do is watch news. You know sin is abounding. That's the truth. But the other side, are you able to have the perception that grace is abounding? If you don't see grace abounding, you will miss your moment. You will miss your part in the work of God that is happening in the darkest hour. That is what perception comes. Everybody has secular perception. They watch the news and say, it is bad, it is terrible, all things are going wrong, the world is going to hell in a basket, which is true. But that's only one side of the perception which everybody has. God is talking about the other side of the perception. That when sin is abounding, are we able to see that grace is abounding even more? When persecution is the highest ever in human history, do we also see salvation is at its best? That more people are being persecuted today than ever in human history. Well, more people are getting saved today than ever in human history. Are we able to see that? Because if we don't see this, we will not be part of the movement of God. And here is Elisha going and she is able to perceive and says, you know what, we are going to invite him home. We're going to feed him. This move of God, this move of God that is happening in Israel, I will have a part in it. You know what I can do? I can do something. I can give him a meal. You, know? you give a prophet a cup of water, you will get a prophet's reward. Because you saw the need in the prophet's life. And you said, you know what, I am going to put what I can do in this situation. In a prophetic movement that is happening, if we do see it and do our part, all you could do was maybe give 30 minutes of your prayer life, saying, Lord, I'm setting it apart for this specific move. I see it is happening, and I want to separate myself. Nobody's going to believe this. Everybody is talking about the other side, but I see something which you are doing. You know, Lord, I'm going to set apart a proportion of my life for that. And one day God will say, you know what, when that prophetic move took place, the reformation took place, the revival took place, no, the, the took place, you had a part in it. Nobody saw it, but I saw it. You did what you could do in that. And that's what she's doing. And that's what we have to be aware of. Because everybody is missing what is happening around in the world. A revival is breaking forth in the world. We are only seeing the darkness, but we are not seeing the light. And the problem is if we see the darkness, we will be part of that. We will be depressed, we will be discouraged, we will be distressed. We will be circling the wagons and hiding in the middle instead of knowing, you know, Lord, I want to be part of this. I will do what I can do. And that's what she did. I don't want to miss it, Lord. And what does she say? Leonard Ravenhill said this. It's, a, it's an interesting line, what he said. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. Did you get it? The opportunity of a lifetime. People will say this is the opportunity of the lifetime. But it has to be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. Every opportunity has a lifetime. It doesn't come with forever. It always has a lifetime, expiry date, beginning and end. It has an expiry date. You have to seize your moment. Elisha is not going to be there up and down that road always. It's not going to happen all the time. The move of God does not continue always. There are seasons. 
there are seasons. And you have to seize your moment. You have to seize your moment. And we know that in life. In secular life, we know that. You know, that's why God says, keep on knocking. One knock, nothing happened by a captain giver. No, God says, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking, keep knocking. When the moment comes, the door will open. Don't stop knocking. Don't give up praying. Don't stop crying out. A moment will come. When that moment comes, you should be ready to seize. And he says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that? The moment he, he comes and he realizes nobody is there. Nobody is there. How many houses must have been on that lane? On the road to Shunem. Everybody missed their moment. You think they didn't have needs? They probably had greater needs than this lady. And this lady actually says, I have no need. But she seized her moment. She said, you know what? She opened her house. And if you come to verse 10, she takes it to a different level. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. And let us put a bed for him there, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. We are not still looking at the four items. We will look at it some other day. But she's taking it to a different level. One meal, she's not satisfied. Regular meals, also she's not satisfied. She says, you know what, I can do more than this. I can do more than this. This is how a ministry expands. This is how God expands the work of your hands. We are talking about stretching. We are talking about enlarging. We are talking about don't spare. And she says, you know what? Yeah. If you want to come, every day you can eat and go. But she's not satisfied with that too. She says, you know what? We got space on our terrace. We got space on our terrace. Why don't we build a room? Why don't we build a room? No? See, certain things you need to understand. If you want God to expand us, if you want God to enlarge us, it is not enough that you are persuasive, you are hospitable, and you have what you call very perceptive, you have discernment. You also need to make the preparations for him to abide with you. You have to make those preparations. You have to check your foundations. If I build an upper room, can the ground floor handle it? Can my life handle it? Can it handle it? No. There is a preparation. It's very confident. My house can handle it. It can handle one more room. It's not going to collapse under the weight of it. A lot of people start things and then it collapses under the weight of it because they did not make the necessary preparations. Okay, that's why this is a Proverbs 31 woman. It's a Proverbs 31 judge. Okay, she's not jumping into anything. But if you look, there is a gradual expansion that is taking place. There is a preparation that goes on. And this is very clear. She's very clear. Spare not. And she says, we, we can spare. Whatever she calls her husband, Dada, honey, Baba, whatever she calls him, we can spare a bed. There's a bed. We've got a table. We've got a chair. But the word chair there in Hebrew is not an ordinary chair. It's a very embroidered, it's almost like a throne. It's not an ordinary chair. He says, you know what? The prophet cannot sit on this chair. It's a prophet. It's a prophet. He cannot sit on the chair, you know. But I think we need to give that chair for him. It's a holy man. 
She doesn't say, Prophet is a holy man. We can give, you have to give the best chair for him. That when he sits, it befits his office. That's why we call those people chairman or chairperson. Because he's sitting on a chair. He's a holy man. We can't give a dining chair to him. Chair from the dining table. We need to give the best chair. So you see, she's sparing nothing there. Okay, that's a different message. What is a chair that you have given to Christ in your life? What is a position that you have given to Christ in your life? It's a simple question is God is asking. Okay? So the question is this. Will you spare no effort? That's what she is doing. How much will you spare to see that? The presence of God abides in your house. You cannot compel him to stay, but at least you can make space and furnish that room. Can your foundations take that weight? Do you think your weight, because, you know, Pastor Vijay will give you the Hebrew word for glory. It is? Kabod. It also means weight. Can you, your life take the weight of God's glory? It's not an ordinary man who's going to live in the upper room. Can you take the weight of that man? We are asking, Lord, come in. Live inside me. Abide with me. The question is, if you were to come in. When Peter, John, and James, for a fraction of a second, saw the glory that was hidden in Christ, they fell on their face. This is the glory that was. This is a person we are inviting into. And he doesn't reveal his glory in our lives because he knows we cannot handle the weight of it. That's why even the best, the most spiritual man on earth, when he reads the Bible, only understands partly. Because he cannot see it fully, because he cannot handle it if he sees it fully. This human soul cannot handle the weight of God's glory. So that's the person you are inviting in. Let's make a room. Okay? In Judges chapter 5 and verse 2, yesterday, when we looked at it, when leaders lead in Israel, when people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. This is a fundamental principle. Leaders lead. What do leaders do? Leaders lead. And what do followers do? They follow willingly. This is the simple picture of a home. The father leads, the mother follows, the children obey. Okay? And when you look at the children, when they look at it, the father and the mother is leading. Not in two directions, in one direction. Okay? And much of the leading is done by the mother in the home. Why? Because a husband trusts her. Proverbs 31 says, trusts her. She will never do evil to him all the days of his life. He knows his home is safe in her hands. The children are safe in her hands. She will know no damage. Therefore, she is the one who actually does the leading. You go into any house. Who is the one teaching the children? Who is the one who putting them to sleep? Who is the one disciplining them? Who is the one who takes them to school? Who is the one worried about their mark sheets? It's all the mother. What does the man do? He takes the credit. My children did well. When it goes wrong, your children. <laughs> That's what they mostly do. And this is that woman. Okay. So remember in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 12. Mm. As for my people, children are their oppressors and women rule over them. Okay? Women. When women, 
rule over them. Men rule over somebody, he becomes a tyrant. We are not called to rule, we are called to lead. The difference between ruling and leading. A man is supposed to lead his home. A woman is supposed to lead a home. A man is not supposed to rule his home. A man, when he rules his home, he becomes a tyrant. It is my will over and above every other will. There's only one will there, not even God's will. Okay. So when women rule, what happens? Children become oppressors. The children become oppressors. What are children? Children are people who never reached into maturity. Now you see the world is full of children. Churches are also full of children. And you know what? Every child is an oppressor. You know that? We love them. But if you look at its net effect on the family when a baby is born, it is oppression. (laughs) From the time of conception, all the way through pregnancy, the mother is throwing up. Any sympathy from that child? Any sympathy have you received? Nothing at all. Not even a mumble. You throw up left, right, center, morning, even. You have no sleepless. None of my business. You do what you want to do. I will. And then they come. Does the baby even bother whether the mother has slept or not? When I want my milk, I need it now. I don't care what you are doing. And when my diaper is wet, better change now. I don't care it is 2 a.m. in the morning. You know what? They are oppressors. We love them. But the problem is when that baby grows up into adulthood without changing me, mine and my way, children become oppressors. That's what the Bible is talking about. Women rule. They are not leading. They are not leading. Women rule. And children become oppressors. And when churches become full of people who are only thinking about me, mine and myself, and they are not givers, they are only takers, actually it becomes a very oppressive atmosphere. It can be a home, it can be a church, it can be an office. So God is teaching us lessons over here. That is not what we are meant to be. This is not what this woman is. This is not what a woman is. She's not ruling her situation. She's not trying to take over and run the situation over there. You know what? She doesn't rule. If you look at words 9 and 10, she's a notable woman, rich woman, notable woman, great woman, Persuasive woman, a woman, hospitable woman, a woman with perception. But she said to her husband, look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make her smaller. She doesn't take the initiative on her own. She asks her husband. Okay. See, the whole work is done by her. But she gives the credit to her husband. If anybody were to ask, it's like ma. Anybody called, she says, it's papa. Some of the time I don't even know what's happening. Every one of you got a birthday, a gift for your birthday. I never know. She'll always say Papu gave. Anybody calls her, she'll always say without my husband uh, saying it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. But if you look at it, 95% of the work is done by her in the church. Done by her in the church. This is a woman who does the whole narratives about her. The husband just makes some conversations. That's all. But she does the work. But she knows if I have to be a leader, I have to be a good follower. I will not rule. I will not rule. Leaders don't rule. They don't oppress. When leaders lead, 
followers willingly give themselves over. And that's what she is doing over there. If you look at it. If you see in verse 21 and 22, there is a crisis. You know the, you know the story. The child dies. There is a crisis. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. If you notice one thing, it's a crisis. But even in a crisis, she says, please, both places, what does she say? Please, please, can we build an upper room? Please, will you send a donkey? Okay. Everything is being handled by her. But you see, and this is a picture of a church too. A church may have all the resources it has, but it will always go and say, please, Lord, can I do it? It doesn't sit as a board and make those decisions. It goes into the prayer closet and says, Lord, can I do it? I mean, I don't have to ask you. I got the money. I got the manpower. I got the resources. But Lord, please, because you know what? Ultimately, everything that we hold in life, we hold as stewards. We own nothing. The earth and the fullness belongs to God. The gold and the silver are His. We own nothing. Naked we came, naked we go in between whatever was given are his. And people don't realize this. They don't make these inquiries with God. And when we run into lack, we ask, Lord, why? He said, you never asked me. You acted as if your life was in mine. The Bible says in Corinthians, we are not our own. We are bought with our price. Not only by the first right of creation, the second right of redemption, twice over we belong to him. Belong to him. And God is putting a principle over here. And this church, as a woman, as a church, or the Shunammite woman, as a wife, as a mother, is an, as an example, she doesn't do anything. She doesn't subvert order. She does not subvert order. Remember, whenever you subvert order, even if your intention is right, at the end it will only bring sorrow. Intention may be right. I'm not saying your intention is wrong. Intention is absolutely right. Rebecca's intention was right. Blessing is for Jacob. Isaac has forgotten. He's, my husband has forgotten what God promised so many years ago. It is not the first one. It's the second one who is blessed. Now he's planning to go override God's will in this situation and bless the second one. You know what? I need to take things into my hand now. I need to, I need to support this whole thing to see the right one is blessed. And you know what? It didn't work out well. For anybody. Though her intention, you know what, she subverted the order. What she would have done was gone into the prayer closet and cried out to God, Lord, speak to my husband. Lord, speak to my husband. And after praying, she would have gone and told him, no, this is not right. This is not right. You are forgetting what? Because she would have known my husband is a spiritual man. He hasn't forgotten all the experiences he has with God. Maybe I will go pray, then I will go speak to him. Don't do this. Don't do this. We are going against the will of God. We will destroy our own future because you know very clearly when the children were conceived, the Lord said the younger and not the elder. She didn't do any of those things. But intention was right. Our ways were wrong. It brought disaster into that family. Literally brought disaster. Okay? So you need to be very, very careful. We learned so much from this lady. Her intentions are right. Her order is right. Her ways are right. Everything is fitting in. Everything is fitting in. Okay? And that's what the Bible says. For a woman, 
or a church. A church. In the church, men and women are all women. In a church, we are all women. And as women in a home, your strength comes from godly submission. Not carnal submission, fearful submission, godly submission. Submission has to be godly. It cannot be fearful. Because when the minute you bring fear into submission, God has gone out of the picture. That's what Peter says in First Peter chapter 3. Sarah submitted with giving no room for fear. And what she was called to do, most women will be never be called to do. But she did not give any way of fear of man over there. Without fear. Fearlessly she submitted. And submission of a church, when a church submits itself to the will of God, the church is actually strong. When a woman in a godly way submits to her husband, Ephesians 21, uh, 5, 21 and 22, that's why God is brought over there, right? Submit to first one another in the fear of the Lord. And then, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands the way you would submit to God. The fear of God is brought over there and submit to your husband as you would submit to the Lord. And that's exactly what this woman is. Okay, the thing is that if you look at it, this woman is not a weak woman. She's a strong woman and strength comes from submission. If a church has to be strong, the church has to submit to God. If a man has to be strong, he has to come under the headship of Jesus Christ. If a woman has to be strong, she has to come under the headship of a man. As in the Lord, always see that if your husband is less spiritual, still try whatever you can. If you are uh, man like, what is his name? Not Abimelech, Hannah's husband's name, Elkanah. Now Elkanah will re- look at it and realize, Hannah is spiritual. You do it. The sun is not coming, that's fine. You know? And this man also, is not a very spiritual man, but he understands his wife is spiritual. Wife is spiritual and leaves matters into her hands. In Proverbs 31 and verse 30, the ideal woman, why is she like that? It's a one verse over there which says, Charm is deceitful. Beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So if you look at all the verses about her, everything, this is the one which holds her together. She's a woman who fears God. That's how Ephesians 5.21 begins. Submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. And tells the wife, Submit your husband as Unto the Lord. Because what does it bring? It brings you strength. It brings you strength. A church where the fear of God, a man who has the fear of God, a woman who has the fear of God, is not a weak person. It's actually a strong person because into that life comes the very strength of God. The other strength is a carnal strength. It's a strength of the flesh. In so many ways, it is a demonic strength. You will see very strong men and women. It's demonic they are self-willed. They've got a strong will. But that strong will is demonic. It's demonic. Even God cannot speak to them. Even God cannot change them. Very strong will. My way. Only my way or the highway. But these people, the Bible is talking about who have the fear of God, they are not strong-willed. But when they hear from God, nobody can change them. They won't buckle under pressure. Because the Bible says, he who fears God. Yeah. Not Bible, it's, it's the principle, right? He fears then no man. 
If you fear God, then you don't have to fear anybody else. But if you fear man, then you will end up fearing everything else. Okay, A woman who fears the Lord, a woman who fears the Lord, her praise is from God. And God is telling, God is looking for churches. God is looking for men. God is looking for women. God is looking for children who fear God. And that person is blessed. So she's not weak. She is very, very strong. And Proverbs 31, 10 and 11, we looked earlier. Because she fears God, what happens over there? Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. Why is she virtuous? Ultimately, what is the key inside? She fears God. And the heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. He trusts her. He does, you know what? My wife fears God. I don't have to worry about her. I don't have to worry about anything I commit into hand. She fears God. Oh, how can I commit this child into hand? No problem. <laughs> she fears God more than I do. Child will be safe in her hands. Ultimately, when you're looking at your possessions, you're looking at the next generation. That's your real possession. The rest is we are leaving behind. The only thing you can take with you are your children. Okay, can. I'm not saying you will take with you. Though that is a very Powerful promise. I was when I was ministering to somebody yesterday. I said we have a very powerful promise. The Bible says in Corinthians seven, even if one spouse is unbelieving, the child that is conceived is already holy because of the faith of the parents. Right? You, otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. What does it mean? It means from birth, from the womb, they already set apart positionally for God. So we have an advantage. Believing parents have an advantage. You look at your child and you just say, you know what? God's word says they are set apart from God. You know what? I'm not looking where they are walking now. How are they going now? I want to speak that over their life. My child is set apart for God. And it doesn't matter what I see or what influence of the world is. I will do what I have to do. But one day they will be set apart for God because it's already written. I will magnify your word about all I see and all the reports I hear. My children are set apart from God and scripture cannot be broken. The power of God's word. It's a promise. It's a promise. Unbelieving parents can't say that. But all you need is one believing parent. One believing parent is all that is needed. And your child is immediately set apart for God. And you believe it. You train them. But whatever you do, ultimately they have to make their call. But what is the power you have behind? The power of an unfulfilled promise. It's God's promise. It is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And you stand on it and God says, you know what? I will honor your faith. I will do. I will do that. See, he can cause things to happen. He can cause things to happen. So her husband trusts her. He knows the house is safe in our hands. Okay? But she's more than all this. She's all this, but she's more than that. Remember, she's got a real, real issue in her life. This is not 21st century. This is almost 4,000 years ago. The culture, the times they are living in, she's got a major issue. If you go back to verse 13 and 14, He said to her, say now, look, you have been concerned with for us with all this care. What can I do for you? He says, you know what? You went out of your way to make me comfortable. I thought it was a meal. Went to many meals. Now you built a room for me. What can I do to you? you know? God is no man's debtor. Don't ever think you will do something for God and God will leap, forget it. He never does that. 
Okay? And you may give a meal because you got plenty of rice in the granary. He does not return his blessings as a meal because you do not need it. That's why we, every Sunday when I pray, I say, Lord, meet them at their point of need. Everybody's need is, you may just put 10 rupees into the offering. It may mean nothing. But you have a need in your life which money cannot meet. And that's our prayer, Lord. Meet me, meet people at their point of need. At their point of need. She says, what do you want? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. Meaning, I'm, I'm cool, I'm good, I'm fine. I'm safe. This is my people. My fellowship is good. My security is good. I have no need of anything. Everything is fine. Gahasi is a very carnal man. His perception is different, okay? He's not a spiritual difference. Gahasi is the guy whose eyes will be always already checked out the stock, okay? Mula hai is karpe. He must be worried about this Elisha. This man doesn't take an offering also. What is this fellow? No, this is a good house to get a good offering. No? This man is not asking anything. I wish I had picked some other prophet. What to do? I had to follow this man. Okay? okay. So he said, what then needs to be done for her? Gahasi answered, actually she has no son and her husband is old. He already calculated age, everything. She has no children, no son. No children, no heir. And husband is old. Okay. That actually, Gehazi is very excited about this thing because he is hoping they have no children, maybe he will give you a good offering. Okay. <laughs> this is a profitable venture. Okay. This is a profitable venture. But look at, put 13 and 14 together. Okay. Husband is old. And she has no children. Actually, she's got a major issue in her life. She's young. Probably much younger. And he's old. It's Ghazi saying, and they have no children. Meaning, one side of her life is closed. It is dead. The most important part for a woman, a married woman. Some very important part. You know what? Every woman wants to become a mother. Not to. Today's women, um, many many of today's women. I'm talking about normal women. Today they are not. That's why they're confused about their gender because they don't know what they are. Old times women knew who they were. They always always wanted a, a child, at least one child, like Sarah at 99 also can dream. Okay, so here it is. She has a serious crisis in her home. She's got everything. But she has no child and her husband is old, meaning it's an impossibility. But look at, she says, I dwell with my own people. What does she have? She's reputable. She's persuasive. She is perceptive. She is hospitable. She takes hospitality to a level beyond everything else, makes a permanent abode for the prophetic to stay whenever she wants. But you know what? And she's got a serious lack in her life, but she's content. With her status in life. Which is a very rare virtue. Because through the Bible what you see is discontented people. And she is a contented church person. You need to find contentment in churches. She is a contented person. Though her need is really, really, really big. In First Timothy chapter 6 verses to 6-8. So you will see 
Now, godliness with contentment is a great gain. You know what? She's got all the qualities on top of that. You know what? She is content. Now, I'm talking to men, women, children who are listening here anywhere in the world. Maybe you have an issue in your in your home. Maybe it is with your husband or maybe it is your wife or maybe it is your child. It's a serious issue. The question is, are you content in your situation? Because it's of great gain. Godliness with contentment. There are a lot of godly people with discontentment. Bible never says Naomi was ungodly. She knew the ways of God, but she was a discontented woman. She was not an ungodly woman. She knew the ways of God. That's If she was ungodly, Ruth wouldn't have said, I want to come with you. There was God in her. That's why Ruth said, wherever you go, I want to come with you. But one thing was that Ruth was content. Naomi was discontented. And that's what God is talking about. Whatever state you are in, even as a child, are you content? Because it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. It's not a small thing. Whatever. He says, I can be content in Felix's palace. I can be content in the prison in Philippi. I'm good. I'm good. I know what it is to be content. I know how it to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hung. Turn to NIV because NIV uses uh, interesting. I hope it is the NIV which I have. Because we have, yeah, this is. I know what it is to be need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. He says, I found the secret. So you have to ask Paul, what is the secret? I want to know the secret. How to be content in all situations? He says, you know what? I realized if I have Christ, I have everything. That's a secret. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. He says, I found the secret to contentment in every situation. You know what it is? It is Christ. If I have Christ, I have Christ. When I am abased, I have strength. When I abound, I am happy. Because Christ is in whom I have found my contentment. I realize one thing. Christ never leaves me. Christ will never leave me or forsake me. Christ is always with me. So if I find my contentment in Christ, I am good. You know what? That is the secret of contentment. Our issue is that we are content with material things. Sorry, sorry. Content with our spiritual things. Absolutely content. And discontented with material things. It should be the other way. You should never be content with spiritual things. You should never be satisfied with your prayer life. You should be never satisfied with your word life. You should be never content with your walk with God. I am pleased. God says, you are not the one dude who should be saying that. I should be saying that. Even when somebody tried calling Jesus good, he says, why are you calling me good? Because if I am good, he should say I am good. If somebody says you are good, we feel so good. God told, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We are very content with the things we should be discontented. And we are very discontent with the things we should be content. Paul is exactly the opposite. In the same letter, look at chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verses 12 to 14. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or I have already been made perfect, but I press on. You know what? He says, I am discontent. When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to the things of God, I am totally dis- I never will stop. I am still pressing on. Peter is writing some of the things Paul writes I have not understood. But he's still pressing for more revelation. The revelation is right still 21 centuries, I mean, 2000 years later, people are still breaking their heads. But this man is not content. Finally, because God must have got frustrated with this man, like Daniel, shut the book and go, Daniel, I'm tired of your questions. Okay, you remember chapter 12? Forever. The problem is Daniel doesn't ask questions. If he doesn't get an answer, he will fast. <laughs> He's a very persuasive man. 21 days and he will pass for an answer. Okay, that's why you have the book of Daniel. This guy is different. God gets probably frustrated with this man also. He says, the only do thing about Paul is like, you know, this man will never stop pursuing me. So you know what, Paul, you come up here and you listen to all this revelation, shut your mouth, don't tell it to anybody. Now go down and be satisfied. He's not even allowed to write it. Personal satisfaction, God has given him revelations which cannot be uttered. Even the book of Revelation can be uttered. Book of Daniel can be written. Revelation of Paul cannot be uttered. You know why? He's a persuasive man. He's pursuing things that are connected with God. With God. In that, he's totally discontent. He's never content. Look at the next two verses. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. When people read it, they go into discouragement and depression. Because if he hasn't taken hold of it, where are we? We get two revelations, we walk around like, you know, like, you know, what did you know? I got a new, you hear all the preachers and I have a new revelation, I have a new revelation, a new revelation. Then, <laughs> and they're so proud about their revelation. This man is saying, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. You read Romans and Corinthians and all, you don't, can't figure out most of the stuff written there. And he's still saying that I don't consider it. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Will you be able to forget what he already written? Honestly, in some ways we are trying to forget what he wrote because we are not able to digest it. I press toward the goal for the price of the upward go of call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what? He was totally discontent with spiritual his spiritual life, always pressing forward. But when he came to his material and physical life, he was very content. And contentment is a big thing in the kingdom of God. It's not a small thing. It is a big thing. She is an incredible person over there if you look at it. If you look at it. Okay, she's an incredible person. Okay. The only thing she lacks, she's not very strong in faith. Very strong in faith. To receive the impossible from God. See, all things are possible with God. And all things are possible with those who believe. When it says all things are possible with those who believe, that possible is an impossible. Otherwise, you don't need faith there. If you don't need faith there, it is possible. But if you have to bring faith there, it is an impossible. And that is where she struggles. Verse 15 and 16. So he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your birth servant. You know what he's saying? She's not accusing you or lying or anything. She's saying, don't give me false hopes. Please. Please. Don't give me false hope. It's like that, Father, I believe. Help my unbelief. In this case, I don't even believe. 
Please, man of God, please, man of God, please, man of God, don't give me false hope. Don't give me false hope. Don't give me false hope. This one thing she struggles with. But everything else fits in. Everything else is great about her. But one thing, the most important thing, you know what? She struggles with faith in that impossible area in her life. And that's what God may be speaking to somebody today. You're good in everything. I see you. You're very good. You're righteous. You're God-fearing. You're godly. You're hospitable. You're generous. You're hardworking. You've got integrity. You're trustworthy. You're faithful. But you know, there's one area in your life which is impossible. And you have kept it impossible. You don't even allow me to speak into that area. You don't allow me to speak into that area. Today I'm telling you, God is saying to somebody, I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm not setting a time one year this time. But God is speaking to somebody. What you think is impossible is possible. And you know what? I have seen your entire life. And you struggle with this. You will not allow me. You know what? I'm going to overrule your unbelief. I'm going to overrule your unbelief. She said, don't give me false hope. Look at how the next verse begins. Chapter verse 17. How does it begin? But the woman conceived. In spite of her unbelief, she conceived. But she conceived. God overruled her unbelief and said, you know what? I look at the rest of your life. You know what? I'm going to honor the word that was spoken through my servant. Even though you don't believe and your husband is aged, you have no hope in this matter. I'm going to overrule your unbelief and I'm going to work a miracle in you. You're going to conceive. But the woman Conceived. It's not, and the woman conceived. That would mean she believed, but the woman conceived in spite of her unbelief. It's a God who can overrule. God who can overrule even your unbelief. God can overrule your unbelief. No, can overrule your unbelief. And that's what God is talking about. No, we have to look at this pictures in the Bible and you know what? Everything was good about her. But one thing she lacked. She lacked the faith to believe in the impossible. And what is impossible in your life? And today tell Lord, Lord, I want that but in my life. Overrule my unbelief and make it happen in my life, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. Overrule it, Lord. I want to open that door which has been shut all these years. And I'm going to open it up and I'm welcoming you in, Lord. Come and overrule it, Lord. Let it conceive in my life. You birth it in my life, Lord. You do a supernatural work in my life. You birth it, O oh Lord. Then the impossible becomes possible. Like that's what the Paul will say. God will make all grace abound in you. God can do things which are impossible. God can do things impossible. The doors you have shut in your life, He can open. You wouldn't allow anybody to speak into that area. Don't even tell me about it. I don't even want to hear about it. It may be the salvation of somebody. Not possible. That one? No. I know. I was in that house. I grew up. I know them. They're so hard. So hard. Impossible. God says, who said so? <laughs> Is anything too difficult for God? Too difficult. Remember, this is a woman who's from the Jewish lineage. She has a history in her country's history. Her national history is of barren women bearing. Her national history 
is full of barren women bearing, starting with the mother of faith. That is Sarah. Conceiving at 90. And then Rebecca. And then Rachel. The whole history, her history is full of people who are barren. No, and she knows. But still, when it came to her own case, she's not able to believe. A lot of people are there. They're able to believe for others, but when it comes to themselves, they struggle. No. Yeah, I believe for you and I will pray for you, I will fast for you, I will see it comes to pass, but when it comes to themselves, they can't. Right? She has a history in the country, but she's not able to believe. And God overrules her unbelief. And the Bible says, she conceived. When the appointed time had come, of which Elisha had told her, had told her, okay, she can, even Hannah believed. When Eli spoke, she believed. <laughs> One greater than Eli is standing, oh, this is Elisha. Okay, and God honors her, word of his servant, and she conceives. Word 17 to 18 flips over many years. That's how the Bible is. One line will skip over years. And the child grew. Child came, the child grew. Right? Yeah. And now it happened. One day he went out to his father, to the reapers. The harvest time, he went with his father to the reapers. And he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his like what fathers do. My head, my head, my homework, go to your mother. I'm hungry, go to your mother. Nappies, go to your mother. Everything, go to your mother. Same father. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. What did he say? Take him to his mother. We have to change, man. We have to change. We have to learn to change and change diapers and everything. We have to learn. Okay, what did he say? Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then he died. Okay, maybe it was early in the morning. People go those days, these even early they start reaping. So let us say it was six in the morning or seven in the morning it happened. He took her. We don't know what happened. We know something happened. Okay? You see, when God births something in you, it will be tested. This is birthed by God. It will be tested. Don't ever think that anything that is birthed in you will not be tested. Because that's the proof of your faith. It's the proof that it is from God. The devil will come after it to destroy it and God will allow you to be tested. And she kept. So you see another thing. Let us say the child was at 8 in the morning. Four hours she sat with the child in her arms. She doesn't know what's wrong with him. She's probably sleeping and she says, oh, his head is hurting. You know what? She was not only all the qualities she described, she was also a very patient mother. She could sit with her baby in her arms for four hours, five hours. It's a very patient lady. So this is the Proverbs 31. I, I, I checked through the whole Bible. You can't find a woman like this anywhere in seven or eight verses. Okay, You cannot find a woman like this anywhere. And she's not even named. We don't even know who her name is or who her husband is. And then he died. She, the child died in her arms. Your dream died in your arms. Your ministry died in your arms. Your church died at your, on your watch. Whatever it is, it died. But you know very clearly it was birthed by God. You know this wasn't, you didn't start this. You knew God started it. You didn't even wish for it. You didn't even ask for it. 
if you were given a choice, you would have chosen something else. But he died. Now what do you do? Verse 19, sorry, 20. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, why are you going to him today? Is it neither the new moon nor the Sabbath? And she said, it is well. Go back. Go back. Now she has to exercise her faith. Okay. First thing she does, she takes the child and takes him up. Because that's where the word of the Lord had come. Where the word of the Lord had come. Many reasons why he did. First she takes, she doesn't put the baby on her bed. She doesn't put the baby on her husband's bed. She puts the baby on the prophet's bed. And she closes the door. And the reason is that if she puts the baby in downstairs, somebody will come and see the baby is dead. Nobody knows the baby is dead except her and God. Nobody knows. And nobody is going to go up into the prophet's room. It's only for the prophet. She goes there, keeps the baby there, and comes, shuts it behind her and comes down. She doesn't tell anybody the baby is dead. When something tragic happens to you which was birthed by God, be careful to whom you speak about it. Because they may kill it from ever coming back, resurrecting it back. Be very careful. She doesn't even tell her husband. She's a wise woman. She's not a foolish woman. She's a wise woman like Abigail. Abigail didn't tell Nabal where she was going. And she doesn't tell her. She knows her husband. He's a godly man. He's a righteous man. But he knows she doesn't have that faith. No, she doesn't tell him. She doesn't tell anybody. Please send me one of the young men, one of the donkeys, that I may run to the man of God and come back. And he asks, why are you going? You look at that man. What are the earlier words the man had uttered? Go, take him to his mother. Does he ask how the child is? And this is the problem with men. This is the problem with men. They don't ask. When they come, morning when they left the office, they knew the child was sick. Evening when they come, they'll ask, where's my tea? And they forget completely. <laughs> I've met people like that all through my life. One constant complaint, you go anywhere on missions from the mothers is this. This man does not care anything. I know pastors' wives have wept and wept before me. I feel like felt so embarrassed. Embarrassed. Every language, Tamil, Malayalam, in every language I've heard the same story. <laughs> every language you hear this, you know what? They simply don't care. I don't know where the head is, where his mind is. He doesn't even ask. What, where's the boy? How is he? He's asking, why do you need a donkey? <laughs> where are you going? Where are you going? And also they have a very fixed, you know, many men have a fixed, these men who are not very spiritual have this very spiritual. Why are you going to Bible study every day? This is not Good Friday. <laughs> why are you going to church? No? See, men, average Christian men, want good wives, they don't want spiritual wives. They don't want spiritual wives. They want good wives. Good wives, godly wives, hardworking wives, money wives who bring lots of money, they like all that. But spiritual wives who go to church regularly for women's meeting and fasting and prayer, they don't like. Why are you going now? This is not new moon or Sabbath. 
Are you going to mean the man of God? She said, it is well. She doesn't even answer. It is well. It's perfectly well. She doesn't tell him the reason. It is well. Because she knows if he tells the boy he's dead, it's over. He will get ready for the funeral. She's getting ready for something else. Okay. She, when the child is, she does not say anything. She doesn't get for the funeral. She doesn't say, she doesn't. She says, get the donkey. I'm going to the man of God. And she saddled the donkey. You know what it says? Usually women don't saddle a donkey. She saddles a donkey. You know why? She says, there's no time to waste here. I'm not even going to. Because the servant who's saddling the, the donkey does not know the urgency of the matter and neither am I going to tell him. She saddles the donkey and said to her servant, drive! And go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Okay. This is a faith that does not give up. This is a faith Jesus was talking where she says, don't slow down. You are at the back. You know how donkeys are. They are slow. You keep smacking from behind. Make him run. And don't slacken the pace. Don't worry. I will fall off. I'm not going to fall off. Because you know what? I'm clinging here for the life of my child. I'm not going to fall off the donkey. This ride is not going to knock me off. You know, God is looking when we say, Deborah, arise, I am mother arose. This is what God is talking about. Mothers who will cry out for the, for the life of their children. They see the children perishing left, right, center, dying in the world. And this woman says, you know what? I'm not going to slacken my pace. I'm going to run towards God. and Nothing is going to stop me. You have only one job, you servant. You keep pushing the donkey forward. Don't slow down. Don't slow down. Don't worry if I lose a shoe on the way. Don't worry, stop the donkey to pick my shoe. You just go. I will go with one shoe. If I drop my bag, don't worry about it. You keep on. Unless I tell you, don't stop. Unless I tell you, don't stop. Okay. And that's what God is talking about. You know, we give up so easily. She refuses to give up. The woman of faith, a woman who, a lack of faith, has become a very strong woman of faith. When the crisis comes, when the challenge comes, she rises up to the occasion. And that's what you need to realize. Crisis will always define who we are. Crisis will define who we are. You know, usually when crisis comes, you know what? People fall apart. They fall apart. Families fall apart. And she's very wise. She knows, you know what? If I tell him, he will fall apart. If I tell her, she will fall apart. You know what I need? Let the crisis be over. Then I will tell him. Then I will tell him. Sometimes you need to tell people only after the crisis is over. Because it's simply can't Because we are not passing information. Passing if I always tell, what's the point in passing information about a crisis to people who will neither pass nor pray? Or can do anything. They can pass to pray. They won't do that. They will only say, yo, what's the point? It's not helping you. It's not helping the cause either. Okay? So she is a wise woman. And this is a wisdom that God is looking for. Where she says, you know what? I'm not going to give up. And I'm not going to share with these people who will cause me to give up or will become an impediment to the progress. And the only person I want is somebody who doesn't know where I am going, but who will speed me in that way. And that's how she goes. So she departed. Went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gahasi, look, the Shunammite woman. Okay. 
This is a physical picture, but the truth is that when we are pursuing something God has promised us, which has died in our life, or what God has promised us, God can see us from far off. Which way we are moving, He can see it from far off. We will say, Lord, where are you? God says, I see you. I see you. God is able to see Zacchaeus. Come down. He didn't mention anybody, the crowds over there. He's standing on Mount Carmel. From Mount Carmel, he can so many people. But he says, you know what? That's a Shunammite woman. There's only one coming towards me. That's her. Maybe so many people are going to Mount Carmel to see the prophet. He's a prophet. But he says, you know what? That one? That one is a Shunammite woman. That one. Look, the Shunammite woman. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Okay, he said, run. Three questions. Is it well with you? Is everything okay? Second, is everything okay with your husband? Third, is everything okay with your son? And she said, it is well. It is well. She says, you know what? I'm not even going to share with Gahasi. Gahasi, I, I, I've seen through Gahasi too. I'm not going to share with this man. He may be the prophet's servant, but he's not a spiritual man. I'm not going to share with him. To anybody who asks her, she says, it is well. Husband, it is well. Yahasi, it is well. But when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. She fell and grabbed him by the feet. Okay, and that's a lesson in itself. You have to go catch hold of God by his feet. And said, Gehasi came to push her away. <laughs> that is Gehasi. <laughs> Gehasi, this is why he's not a spiritual man at all. Even after getting leprosy also, he hasn't changed. His heart is still the same. Okay, but the man of God said, leave her, leave her alone, let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. He says, you know what, this woman is in distress, you can make out, but God hasn't revealed it to me, hasn't told. He still doesn't know what, he says there's something wrong over here, but you know what, I'm not hearing it, I'm not getting it. What happened over here, is your husband dead, your child dead, something happened, what is it, a disease, sickness, he's not getting it. Because even a prophet will not get it until the Lord reveals. The Lord reveals. Okay, don't think the prophets know everything. They don't know. God has to reveal. If he doesn't reveal, Elisha says, I do not know. And then she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? Did I ask? Did I ask? Didn't I tell you not to give me hopes? Did I ask for this? Whatever your situation, you know it was birthed by God and it is dying or it is dead. You need to ask, did I ask for it? Did I ask? On the other hand, I said I don't want. Did I ask? And then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. He says, run. Take my staff and run. You need to do one thing. You're on mission. And you're going at my word. Don't get distracted to the right or the left. Somebody greets you, don't greet. And you also don't greet. Be focused. He knows Gehasi also very well. Somebody gives you an offering, you will go that way. <laughs> that is Gehasi. Okay, stay your course. But you know what? She doesn't leave. She doesn't leave. The mother of the Lord said, Gehasi can go with your stuff, but I am not going. As the Lord loves and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. It must have struck a chord in Elisha's mind. Oh, you know what? 
you sound like me. That's what I told Elisha, Elijah. As the Lord loves and as your soul loves, I will not leave you. We are kindred spirits. I see you. I was after the double portion, the way you are after the life of your child. You know, the same spirit that is there in Elisha, that was in Caleb, can be found in an unknown woman also. The same spirit. The same spirit. We'll say, oh, only Elisha had God. says, you know what? An unknown woman had it. His cause was he wanted a double portion. Caleb wanted the mountain. This woman wants a child. But the spirit is the same and the God is the same. It's not different. No. That's why I said, no, I said yesterday, I said, to my, yesterday I said that. We sometimes miss Hebrews 11.39. The, the, for me, the most important line in Hebrews 11. All of them believed. None of them received what was promised. Meaning, what is that? Faith is not tested in great accomplishments. Faith is tested in ordinary lives. And a simple mother, a simple man, a simple child who lives the life of faith, they never brought walls down. They never subdued kings. They never shut the mouths of liars. They were just faithful where God called them. We'll get the reward of the prophet and the apostle on that day. Everybody is waiting. Everybody is waiting. Everybody is waiting. Nobody has received it. Everybody is waiting. You know? And the thing is that in an instant, everybody says, oh, we'll stand before the judgment seat of God, right? And we will know our rewards. You know what? Even before the rewards are given, you will know who is going to be rewarded. You know why? In an instant, people will recognize by your bodies because your bodies won't be the same. Glory will be different. Glory will be different. That's what the Bible says. As stars differ in glory, so will the bodies. And those who brought many into righteousness will shine like the stars. The rewards are going to be announced only. People are all waiting. But when you look around, you will look like today, like, you know, Peter. We have Peter here, yeah. When you go to the gym, you know the newcomer and you know the ustad over there, right? One look at the body, you know who is the ustad. He is standing there with all his biceps and all. Because he's glorifying in his body. Right? One look at the body, you will know. Right? This fellow has come with, you know, for paunch and everything. So give me some exercises, you know. You are new, you know, that is the ustad. And his picture is there in the posters and all, right? Jeevan tone and all that things. <laughs> in the same way, in an instant, you look around. Oh. I saw you all these days in church. I didn't realize you were the glorified one in the church. I didn't even realize. I ignored you. Because I never saw you in many of the ministries and all, but you were faithful in what God called you. And in an instant it is revealed. Okay, And that's what the Bible is talking about. You know, this woman had the same faith that Caleb had and and Elisha had. And her words are the same. Because faith has a language. Faith has a language. It never gives up. Never gives up. That's what it means. It is well. Actually, if you go to uh, KJV, it is interesting. KJV is different the first time she says and the second time she says. And KJV has slightly messed it up. No, no, no. Where you're talking about where she says. No? First time. Uh, when the husband asks. Hmm? Yeah. 23. Where will thou go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, it shall be well. Shall be well. 
it shall be well. Okay. By the time she comes to Gehasi, okay, it's already a few hours from Shunem to Carmel. She let's say three hours. Okay. When you are moving towards God, even the faith language is changing. It shall well too. It is well. But actually that is not the pro- that's not the truth. The truth, the physical truth is different. It is not well, it has become worse. When you left, he was dead. Now three hours later, his body is deteriorating. But faith doesn't speak that language. Faith speaks another language. When it gets worse, when it was bad, it was, it shall be well. When it gets worse, it is well. Faith has its language. I don't know why NKTV changed it, because I find this beautiful. Okay? And you know what? She says, I am not going until you come along with me. As the Lord liveth, as the soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. Okay, that is the persuasive mother. Okay, she got him off the mountain and he followed her and he reaches over there. Okay, Gehasi went on ahead of him, laid the staff on the face of the child. There was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. That is Gehasi. See, we preached on this before. Elisha's rod in Gehasi's hand will not work. It will not work. The second thing you will see about that, what did he do? Put the rod there once, nothing happened. He picked the rod and walked back. Walked back. He gave up immediately. One try, gave up. The child has not awakened. Elisha came to the house and there was a child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to God. Then he went up and lay on the child. He prayed. He said, Lord, what's happening? You will see, Elisha, Elisha is also a man of prayer. Many times when things don't happen, he prays. And God said, this is the way to do it. He prays. He went up and lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned, walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. So you know something, the room is a small room. It's not a big room, which is a small little room. You got a bed, you got a table, a chair, and that's on a small little room. But if you know men of God, when they pray, they walk. They don't sit and pray. They don't sit and pray. They walk. They always have to walk while praying. They don't sit and pray. They walk. They walk and pray. That's why he went down. Because there's no space to walk up. He goes down. You look, read carefully. You have to read scripture carefully. He went downstairs the house and he walked through the house praying. Praying, 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 praying. He walked. And he returned. Back and forth in the house. Again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened. The first time you try, like, you're not like, you're not Gehasi, you're Elisha. First time you pray, you did, nothing happened. You know what? You went back. I need more anointing. The anointing is not working. The problem is not the answer is no. The answer, the problem is the anointing is not flowing. Anointing is flowing. You know what? The issue is the, with the flesh. The issue is that when you look at the boy, the boy is lying there on the bed and he's lying there dead. That is the issue. The boy is dead. You know what I need to do? I need to go down. Away from that physical reality of death and pray. Shut that out of my mind and wait for the anointing to flow. Sometimes you have to shut the physical reality out. Otherwise you look at the dead body and you start giving up. You shut that out. You shut that out. He goes downstairs, walks back and forth, back and forth. I'm giving you ministry principles, how you do stuff. 
you walk back, you cry out to the Lord and Lord under, you will know when the anointing starts flowing. You will know the anointing starts flowing. And when it flows, he goes back up. He stretches himself out this, on him. Then the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. Opened his eyes. He called Gehasi and said, call this Shunammite woman. <coughs> so he called her. When she came in to him, he said, pick up your son. She went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground. She picked up her son and went out. Look at it. What would we do? Look at what it starts. What would we do? You would run to the child first, right? Not her. She's changed from where we saw in the beginning till today, till the last. She has changed. She doesn't run to the child first. She runs to him first, falls at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. That that knows this woman has grown. When something great, our breakthrough comes, we don't run to that. We run to God first and give him, worship him. We thank him first. We worship him, thank him first. Then we go and pick the child up. Okay. And it's an awesome woman. Awesome woman. You know what? Because of this woman, because this woman has now heard, learned to hear the voice of God. She's a woman who has got her child back, her life back. God is able to speak to her. I'll close here, but we'll read 8.1 also. Chapter 8, verse 1, if I'm right, 8.1. Yeah, Second Kings 8.1. Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise, go, and your household stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore it will come upon the land for seven years. You know why? Because your child was birthed by God, and he will sustain that child during famine. He will not allow it to die. Other children may die. Your child will not die because it came from God. Your ministry won't die in during the time of scarcity. You know why? Because it was birthed by God. Your house is not going to go down. You know why? Because your house was birthed by God. It looked as if it had died. Resurrection power came. There is death. There is resurrection. And now there is going to be, going to be sustaining during the time of famine too. The word came to only to her. This is where we have, this is why it is so important to hear from God. Because what God has started, he will sustain and he will finish. He will finish. The word comes to her. You know what? And she's a godly, spiritual woman. She obeys. Look at verse 2. She arises. The woman arose, did according to the saying of the man of God. She went with the household, dwelt in the land of the Philistines. You see, nowhere is her husband mentioned. Mentioned. Though he's there. Okay, he's there. But you know her, she'll tell husband. Baba, Baba, prophet said, he said, okay. Prophet said, it's fine. I trust you. I trust you hear right. I trust you hearing. I know you hear better than me. If you said so, it is fine. Let's go. And he calls the whole household and says, we are moving. And when the household sees, it is he who's taking the decision. But actually he's taking a decision based on what she has heard. That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. And they move and they live in the land of the Philistines for seven years. The problem is when they come back, the land has been taken. For seven years, nobody there. Encroachers have got in, all kind of taxes, everything go famine. You know what happened? Even there, God will supernaturally intervene. Let's finish that portion with that lady. It's incredible. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah. 
It came to pass that the seven years the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. She went to make an appeal to the king for a house and for her land. It is she who goes. It is she who goes. Okay, The land has been taken. And she goes to appeal to the king. And the king at that exact moment, he says, this is how God works. At exact moment, what is happening? The king was talking to Gehazi. And the servant of the man of God was saying, tell me please all the great things Elisha has done. What is he talking about? He's talking about, he was, it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life. There was a woman whose son he had restored to life appealing to the king for a house and for a land. And Gehazi said, oh Lord, my king, this is the woman. <laughs> okay. This is called divine connections which God makes. God intervenes exactly at that moment. At that moment, you have to trust God in these things. This is where, if God has begun something, He nobody can take it from you. You have, you can only lose your blessings. It cannot be stolen. It cannot be stolen. That's where Jacob and Rebecca went wrong. If Jacob is blessed by God, it cannot be taken. Isaac cannot take it away. Esau cannot steal it away. You can lose it. He lost it for twenty years. He thought he got it, but he lost it. He didn't get it. He lost it. For 20 years, he lost it. Okay. And this is the things which we need to understand. Nobody can take it away from you. You can lose it by your lack of unbelief, the lack of obedience. But if you believe, if why did you go to Philistines for seven years? Because God told you. Why are you back? At God's appointed time. How can somebody take it away from you? It will be restored. She goes to make the appeal to the king and the king is talking to Gehaz. It's talking about her. At that time, he says, my lord, this is the woman. <laughs> What does the king say? When the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer for her. <laughs> One officer was called, appointed for her. He got a job. Go with this lady. Go to Shunem. Restore all that was hers. All the proceeds of the field from the day she left the land until now. Give her house. Give her land. And what? You do the calculation. Seven years. How much should the land produced for seven years? Give it all back to her. This is why we say you can never lose out with God. Can never lose out with God. Never lose out with God. And we have to look at these pictures. That is why we have to stay the course. And that's why God is talking to the Philadelphia church also. You have very little strength, but you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. You have persevered in it through it all. In the hour this great trial is coming upon the whole world, I will keep you away from it. Not only that, you will get your reward too. I will make you a pillar in my temple. Because you have stood for the truth and church was supposed to be the pillar of truth in the coming kingdom. You will be a pillar. You will be shown as the church, the people who stood for my truth. So you're not going to lose out in any way, either here or there. You have to believe in these promises. That's the story of the Shunammite woman. And that's where our faith comes up. I'm not saying it is easy. <laughs> you will be attacked. And what was birthed in you will actually look dead. It will look, for all natural appearances, it is dead. The question is, will you give up and have a funeral? Will you stop going to God, run away from God, shut, stop? A lot of people react that way. They don't go to God, they curse God. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, curse. No. Job's wife will say, curse God and die. A lot of people react. You look in the Bible, through it all. 
Rachel will say, give me children or I will die. I will commit suicide. All these stories of people are there. And these are all not ungodly people. They are all godly people. You know, Except this woman. She says it is all well. It's well. It shall be well. It is well. It is well. And I'm not going to talk to anybody else. I don't want Gehasi. I don't want your staff also. I want you. I'm not satisfied with Gehasi or I'm not even satisfied with your staff. I want you. David was satisfied or comforted by the staff and the rod. She said, neither that. I want the shepherd. The staff and thy rod, they comforts me. She said, no, it doesn't comfort me. In this case, it does not comfort me. I need the shepherd. As my soul lives, I am not moving from here until I get you to come with me. And you know what? God loves that kind of faith. You have a resurrection. You have a resurrection. And then you see, you have the voice of God coming and warning you to protect what was resurrected in your life. And then what you thought you lost, God is able to restore it all back to you. He's able to give it all back. Only God is able to do that. Because you have favor with God, you will have favor with men. It all is given back, everything to her. And the story ends. You know the beautiful part of it? We still do not know her name. Why? It can be any man, any woman, any church. It can be anybody. It can be anybody. So this morning we stop there and we will pray, Lord, help me to protect that faith. The word that I have heard from you, received from you, Lord. I will never say anything is impossible for God. I will not shorten your hand by my unbelief, Lord. It doesn't matter what man says. It doesn't matter how it looks outwardly. The child is stopped breathing. There is no life. It looks dead as a doornail. It is dead. It is over. It is finished. It is done. And like Martha and Mary said, he's been in the grave for four days. It is stinking. But I'm not running away. I'm running to you. And I will not slacken my pace. I will not stop for anything. I'm not satisfied with anything. I will not stop until you come with me. And Jesus told them, I am the resurrection. And the life. If you believe. You will see. The glory of God. This woman believed. She was the same woman once. Who doubted. Whether she could ever conceive. But now she believed. To see a dead son come back to life. God is speaking to people today. You may think it is dead, it is over, it is finished. Ron, don't write the obituary yet. It's not over. You don't have to tell it to anybody. Certain things you don't have to tell it to anybody. It's between you and God. Anybody asks how it is? How is your home? It is well. How is your marriage? It is well. How is your child? It is well. How is your job? It is well. For you know, man cannot handle this. Only God can. And God can handle this. Because it was birthed by God. It will be brought back to life by God. Or you are looking at famine. Lord, what you birthed and resurrected now may die in this famine. No, it will not. You will have a word from God. How to sustain it. 
Isaac heard from God how to sustain his household in famine. Joseph heard how to sustain Egypt in famine. And a Shunammite woman heard how to sustain a household in famine. Naomi and her husband did not hear. They went on their own and she lost her husband and two sons. The God of Isaac, the God of Joseph, is the God of the Shunammite woman. She heard. Because God always honors faith. You can hear, I can hear. What God has given to us will not die in famine. There is famine around the world. There is a famine of the hearing of word also. But what was born in us of God will not die during this famine. He will give us the living word every day. He will speak to us. He will sustain what he has birthed and resurrected. It will not die during this famine. And when the appointed time of famine is over, even if others have encroached and taken what was rightfully ours, we will have favor with God. Therefore, we will have favor with the king, the authorities. It will be restored. For God will appoint people in our lives who will be entrusted with one task to restore what the canker worms have eaten, to restore what the locusts have eaten, to restore what the thieves have taken away. God will appoint people in our lives whose only commission is to see that it is restored to us. For what God has given, no man can take it away. No man can take it away. It was birthed by God. It was resurrected by God. It was sustained by God and everything will be restored by God. The word of God will stand. Let God be true. Let every man be a liar. Earth and heaven and earth will pass away, but not a dot from your word. So this morning all God is saying is, hear what I say and believe. And then sing with the hymn writer, it is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. It is well. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. We just want to worship you, Lord. Help us to have the faith and the life of this unknown, unnamed Shunammite woman. Thank you. Thank you, Father. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just glorify you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.